Chapter six of Annals of a Quiet Neighborhood. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Annals of a Quiet Neighborhood by George MacDonald. Chapter six Old Castle Hall. About noon on a lovely autumn day. I set out for Old Castle Hall. The keenness of the air had melted away with the heat of the sun, yet still the air was fresh and invigorating. Can anyone tell me why it is that when the earth is renewing her youth in the spring, man should feel feeble and low-spirited, and gaze with bowed head, though pleased heart, on the crocuses, whereas on the contrary, in the autumn, when nature is dying for the winter, he feels strong and hopeful holds his head erect and walks with a vigorous step though the flaunting dahlias discourage him greatly i do not ask for the physical causes those i might be able to find out for myself but i ask where is the rightness and fitness in the thing should not man and nature go together in this world which was made for man not for science but for man Perhaps I have some glimmerings of where the answer lies. Perhaps I see a cherub that sees it. And in many of our questions we have to be content with such an approximation to an answer as this. And for my part, I am content with this. With less, I am not content. Whatever that answer may be, I walked over the old Gothic bridge with a heart strong enough to meet Mrs. Oldcastle without flinching. I might have to quarrel with her. I could not tell she certainly was neither safe nor wholesome but this i was sure of that i would not quarrel with her without being quite certain that i ought i wish it were never one's duty to quarrel with anybody i do so hate it but not to do it sometimes is to smile in the devil's face and that no one ought to do however i had not to quarrel this time the woods on the other side of the river from my house towards which i was now walking were of the most sombre rich colour sombre and rich like a life that has laid up treasure in heaven locked in a casket of sorrow i came nearer and nearer to them through the village and approached the great iron gate with the antediluvian monsters on the top of its stone pillars and awful monsters they were are still I see the tail of one of them at this very moment, but they let me through very quietly, notwithstanding their evil looks. I thought they were saying to each other across the top of the gate, Never mind, he'll catch it soon enough. But, as I said, I did not catch it that day, and I could not have caught it that day. It was too lovely a day to catch any hurt, even from the most hurtful of all beings under the sun, an unwomanly woman. I wandered up the long winding road through the woods which I had remarked flanking the meadow on my first walk up the river These woods smelt so sweetly their dead and dying leaves departing in sweet odors That they quite made up for the absence of the flowers and the wind No, there was no wind there was only a memory of wind that woke now and then in the bosom of the wood Shook down a few leaves like the thoughts that flutter away in sighs and then was still again i am getting old as i told you my friends see there you see my friends already do not despise an old man because he cannot help loving people he never saw 
or even heard of i say i am getting old is it but or therefore i do not know which but therefore i shall never forget that one autumn day in those grandly fading woods up the slope of the hillside they rose like one great rainbow below of foliage bright yellow red rusty and bright fading green all kinds and shades of browns and purples multitudes of leaves lay on the sides of the path so many that i betook myself to my old childish amusement of walking in them without lifting my feet driving whole armies of them with ocean-like rustling before me i did not do so as i came back i walked in the middle of the way then and i remember stepping over many single leaves in a kind of mechanico merciful way as if they had been living creatures as indeed who can tell but they are only they must be pretty nearly dead when they are on the ground at length the road brought me up to a house it did not look such a large house as i have since found it to be and it certainly was not an interesting house from the outside though its surroundings of green grass and trees would make any whole beautiful indeed the house itself tried to look ugly not quite succeeding only because of the kind foiling of its efforts by the virginia creepers and ivy which as if ashamed of its staring countenance did all they could to spread their hands over it and hide it but there was one charming group of old chimneys belonging to some portion behind which indicated a very different namely a very much older face upon the house once a face that had passed away to give place to this once inside i found there were more remains of the olden time than i had expected i was led up one of those grand square oak staircases which look like a portion of the house to be dwelt in and not like a ladder from getting one part of the habitable regions to another on the top was a fine expanse of landing another hall in fact from which i was led towards the back of the house by a narrow passage and shown into a small dark drawing-room of a deep stone mullioned window wainscoted in oak simply carved and panelled several doors around indicated communication with other parts of the house here i found mrs oldcastle reading what i judged to be one of the cheap and gaudy religious books of the present day she rose and received me and having motioned me to a seat began to talk about the parish you would have perceived at once from her tone that she recognized no other bond of connection between us but the parish i hear you have been most kind in visiting the poor mr walton you must take care that they don't take advantage of your kindness though i assure you you will find some of them very grasping indeed and you need not expect that they will give you the least credit for good intentions i have seen nothing yet to make me uneasy on that score but certainly my testimony is of no weight yet mine is i have proved them the poor of this neighbourhood are very deficient in gratitude yes granny i started but there was no interruption such as i had made to indicate my surprise although when i looked half round in the direction whence the voice came the words that followed were all rippled with a sweet laugh of amusement yes granny you are right you remember how old dame hope wouldn't take the money you offered her and dropped such a disdainful courtesy it was so greedy of her wasn't it i am sorry to hear of any disdainful reception of kindness i said 
Yes, and she had the coolness, within a fortnight, to send up to me and ask if I would be kind enough to lend her half a crown for a few weeks. And then it was your turn, Granny. You sent her five shillings, didn't you? Oh, no, I'm wrong. That was the other woman. Indeed, I did not send her anything but a rebuke. I told her that it would be a very wrong thing in me to contribute to the support of such an evil spirit of unthankfulness as she indulged in. When she came to see her conduct in its true light and confessed that she had behaved very abominably, I would see what I could do for her. And meantime she was served out, wasn't she? With her sick boy at home and nothing to give him, said Miss Gladwin. She made her own bed and had to lie on it. Don't you think a little kindness might have had more effect in bringing her to see that she was wrong? Granny doesn't believe in kindness, except to me, dear old Granny. She spoils me. I'm sure I shall be ungrateful some day, and then she'll begin to read me long lectures and prick me with all manner of headless pins. But I won't stand it, I can tell you, Granny. I'm too much spoiled for that. Mrs. Oldcastle was silent. Why, I could not tell, except it was that she knew she had no chance of quieting the girl in any other way. I may mention here, lest I should have no opportunity afterwards, that I inquired of Dame Hope as to her version of the story, and found that there had been a great misunderstanding, as I had suspected. She was really in no want at the time, and did not feel that it would be quite honourable to take the money when she did not need it. Some poor people are capable of such reasoning. And so she had refused it, not without a feeling at the same time that it was more pleasant to refuse than to accept from such a giver. Some stray sparkle of which feeling, discovered by the keen eye of Miss Gladwin, may have given that appearance of disdain to her courtesy, to which the girl alluded. When, however, her boy in service was brought home ill, she had sent to ask for what she now required, on the very ground that it had been offered to her before. The misunderstanding had arisen from the total incapacity of Mrs. Oldcastle to enter sympathetically into the feelings of one as superior to herself in character as she was inferior in worldly condition. But to return to Oldcastle Hall. I wish to change the subject, knowing that blind defence is of no use. One must have definite points for defence, if one has not a thorough understanding of the character in question. And I had neither. This is a beautiful old house, I said. There must be strange places about it. Mrs. Oldcastle had not time to reply, or at least did not reply, before Miss Gladwin said, Oh, Mr. Walton, have you looked out of the window yet? You don't know what a lovely place this is, if you haven't. And as she spoke, she emerged from a recess in the room, a kind of dark alcove, where she had been amusing herself with what I took to be some sort of puzzle, but which I found afterwards to be a bit and curb chain of her pony's bridle, which she was polishing up to her own bright mind, because the stable boy had not pleased her in the matter, and she wanted both to get them brilliant, and to shame the lad for the future. I followed her to the window, where I was indeed as much surprised and pleased as she could have wished. There, she said, holding back one of the dingy, heavy curtains with her small, childish hand. And there, indeed, I saw an astonishment. It did not lie in the lovely sweeps of hill and hollow stretching away to the horizon, richly wooded and, though I saw none of them, sprinkled certainly with sweet villages full of human thoughts, loves, and hopes. 
the astonishment did not lie in this though all this was really much more beautiful to the higher imagination but in the fact that at the first glance i had a vision properly belonging to a rugged or mountainous country for i had approached the house by a gentle slope which certainly was long and winding but had occasioned no feeling in my mind that i had reached any considerable height and i had come up that one beautiful staircase no more and yet now when i looked from this window i found myself on the edge of a precipice not a very deep one certainly yet with all the effect of many a deeper for below the house on this side lay a great hollow with steep sides up which as far as they could reach the trees were climbing the sides were not all so steep as the one on which the house stood but they were all rocky and steep and here and there slopes of green grass and down in the bottom in the centre of the hollow lay a pool of water i knew it only by its slaty shimmer through the fading green of the tree-tops between me and it there again exclaimed miss gladwin isn't that beautiful but you haven't seen the most beautiful thing yet granny where's ah there she is there's auntie don't you see her down there by the side of the pond that pond is a hundred feet deep if auntie were to fall in she would be drowned before you could jump down and get her out can you swim before i had time to answer she was off again don't you see auntie down there no i don't see her i have been trying very hard but i can't well i dare say you can't nobody i think has got eyes but myself do you see a big stone by the edge of the pond with other stones on the top of it like a big potato with a little one grown out of it no well auntie is under the trees on the opposite side from that stone do you see her yet no then you must come down with me and i will introduce you to her she's much the prettiest thing here much prettier than granny here she looked over her shoulder at granny who instead of being angry as from what i had seen on our former interview i feared she would be only said without even looking up from the little blue-boarded book she was again reading you are a saucy child whereupon miss gladwin laughed merrily come along she said and seizing me by the hand led me out of the room down a back staircase across a piece of grass and then down a stair in the face of the rock towards the pond below the stair went in zigzags and although rough was protected by an iron balustrade without which indeed it would have been very dangerous isn't your grandmamma afraid to let you run up and down here miss gladwin i said me she exclaimed apparently in the utmost surprise that would be fun for you know if she tried to hinder me but she knows it's no use i taught her that long ago let me see how long oh i don't know i should think it must be ten years at least i ran away and they thought i had drowned myself in the pond and i saw them all the time poking with a long stick in the pond which if i had been drowned there never could have brought me up for it is a hundred feet deep i am sure how i hurt my sides trying to keep from screaming with laughter i fancied i heard one say to the other we must wait till she swells and floats dear me what a peculiar child i said to myself and yet somehow whatever she said even when she was most rude to her grandmother she was never offensive no one could have helped feeling all the time that she was a little lady 
I thought I would venture a question with her. I stood still at a turn of the zigzag and looked down into the hollow, still a good way below us, where I could now distinguish the form on the opposite side of the pond of a woman seated at the foot of a tree and stooping forward over a book. May I ask you a question, Miss Gladwin? Yes, twenty if you like, but I won't answer one of them till you give up calling me Miss Gladwin. We can't be friends, you know, so long as you do that. What am I to call you, then? I never heard you called by any other name than Pet, and that would hardly do, would it? Oh, just fancy if you call me Pet before Granny. That's Granny's name for me, and nobody dares to use it but Granny, not even Auntie, for between you and me, Auntie is afraid of Granny. I can't think why. I was never afraid of anybody. Except, yes, a little afraid of old Sarah. She used to be my nurse, you know, and Grandmama and everybody is afraid of her. And that's just why I never do one thing she wants me to do. It would never do to give in to being afraid of her, you know. There's Auntie, you see, down there, just where I told you before. Oh, yes, I see her now. What does your aunt call you, then? Why, what you must call me, my own name, of course. What is that? Judy. She said it in a tone which seemed to indicate surprise that I should not know her name. Perhaps read it off her face, as one ought to know a flower's name by looking at it. But she added instantly, glancing up in my face most comically, I wish yours was punch. Why, Judy? It would be such fun, you know. Well, it would be odd, I must confess. What is your aunt's name? Oh, such a funny name. Much funnier than Judy. Ethelwyn. It sounds as if it ought to mean something, doesn't it? Yes, it is an Anglo-Saxon word, without doubt. What does it mean? I'm not sure about that. I will try and find out when I go home, if you would like to know. Yes, that I should. I should like to know everything about Auntie Ethelwyn. Isn't it pretty? So pretty that I should like to know something more about Aunt Ethelwyn. What is her other name? Why, Ethelwyn Oldcastle, to be sure. What else could it be? Why, you know, for anything I knew, Judy, it might have been Gladwyn. She might have been your father's sister. Might she? I never thought of that. Oh, I suppose that is because I never think about my father. And now I do think of it, I wonder why nobody ever mentions him to me. Or my mother either but i often think auntie must be thinking about my mother something in her eyes when they are sadder than usual seems to remind me of my mother you remember your mother then no i don't think i ever saw her but i've answered plenty of questions haven't i i assure you if you want to get me on to the catechism i don't know a word of it come along i laughed what she said pulling me by the hand you a clergyman and laugh at the catechism. I didn't know that. I am not laughing at the catechism, Judy. I am only laughing at the idea of putting catechism questions to you. You know I didn't mean it, she said with some indignation. I know now, I answered, but you haven't let me put the only question I wanted to put. What is it? How old are you? Twelve. Come along and away we went down the rest of the stair. When we reached the bottom, a winding path led us through the trees to the side of the pond, along which we passed to get to the other side. And then, all at once, the thought struck me. 
why was it that i had never seen this auntie with the lovely name at church was she going to turn out another strange parishioner there she sat intent on her book as we drew near she looked up and rose but did not come forward aunt winnie here's mr walton said judy i lifted my hat and held out my hand before our hands met however a tremendous splash reached my ear from the pond I started round Judy had vanished I had my coat half off and was rushing to the pool when miss Oldcastle stopped me her face unmoved except by a smile saying It's only one of that frolicsome child's tricks mr. Walton. It is well for you that I was here though Nothing would have delighted her more than to have you in the water, too But I said bewildered and not half comprehending where is she? There returned miss Oldcastle pointing to the pool in the middle of which arose a heaving and bubbling presently yielding passage to the laughing face of judy why don't you help me out mr walton you said you could swim no i did not i answered coolly you talked so fast you did not give me time to say so it's very cold she returned come out judy dear said her aunt run home and change your clothes there's a dear judy swam to the opposite side scrambled out and was off like a spaniel through the trees and up the stairs dripping and raining as she went you must be very astonished at the little creature mr walton i find her quite interesting quite a study there never was a child so spoiled and never a child on whom it took less effect to hurt her i suppose such things do happen sometimes she is really a good girl though mamma who has done all the spoiling will not allow me to say she is good here followed a pause for judy disposed of what should i say next and the moment her mind turned from judy i saw a certain stillness not a cloud but a shadow of a cloud come over miss oldcastle's face as if she too found herself uncomfortable and did not know what to say next she tried to get a glance at the book in her hand for i should know something about her at once if i could only see what she was reading she never came to church and i wanted to arrive at some notion of the source of her spiritual life for that she had such a single glance at her face was enough to convince me this i mean made me even anxious to see what the book was but i could only discover that it was an old book in very shabby binding not in the least like the books that young ladies generally have in their hands and now my readers will possibly be thinking it odd that i have never yet said a word about what either judy or miss oldcastle was like if there is one thing i feel more inadequate to than another in taking upon me to relate it is to describe a lady but i will try the girl first judy was rosy gray-eyed auburn-haired sweet-mouthed she had confidence in her chin assertion in her nose defiance in her eyebrows honesty and friendliness all over her face no one evidently could have a warmer friend and to an enemy she would be dangerous no longer than a fit of passion might last there was nothing acrid in her and the reason i presume was that she had never yet hurt her conscience that is a very different thing from saying she had never done wrong you know she was not tall even for her age and just a little too plump for the immediate suggestion of grace 
yet every motion of the child would have been graceful except for the fact that impulse was always predominant giving a certain jerkiness like the hopping of a bird instead of the gliding of one motion into another just as you might see in the same bird on the wing there is one of the ladies but the other how shall i attempt to describe her the first thing i felt was that she was a lady woman and to feel that is almost to fall in love at first sight and out of this hole the first thing you distinguished would be the grace overall she was rather slender rather tall rather dark-haired and quite blue-eyed but i assure you it was not upon that occasion that i found out the color of her eyes i was so taken with her whole that i knew nothing about her parts yet she was blue-eyed indicating northern extraction some centuries back perhaps that blue was the blue of the sea that had sunk through the eyes of some sea rover's wife and settled in those of her child to be born when the voyage was over it had been dyed so deep in grain as spencer would say that it had never been worn from the souls of the race since and so was every now and then shining like heaven out of some of its eyes her features were what is called angular they were delicate and brave after the grace the dignity was the next thing you came to discover and the only thing you would not have liked you would have discovered last for when the shine of the courtesy with which she received me had faded away a certain look of negative haughtiness of withdrawal if not of repulsion took its place a look of consciousness of her own high breeding a pride not of life but of circumstance of life which disappointed me in the midst of so much that was very lovely her voice was sweet and i could have fancied a tinge of sadness in it to which impression her slowness of speech without any drawl of it contributed but i am not doing well as an artist in describing her so fully before my reader has become in the least degree interested in her i was seeing her and no words can make him see her fearing lest some such fancy as had possessed judy should be moving in her mind namely that i was if not exactly going to put her through her catechism yet going in some way or other to act the clergyman i hastened to speak this is a most romantic spot miss oldcastle i said and as surprising as it is romantic i could hardly believe my eyes when i looked out of the window and saw it first your surprise was the more natural that the place itself is not properly natural as you must have discovered this was rather a remarkable speech for a young lady to make i answered i only know that such a chasm is the last thing i should have expected to find in this gently undulating country that it is artificial i was no more prepared to hear than i was to see the place itself it looks pretty but it has not a very poetic origin she returned it is nothing but the quarry out of which the old house at the top of it was built i must venture to differ from you entirely in the aspect such an origin assumes to me i said it seems to me a more poetic origin than any convulsion of nature whatever would have been for look you i said being as a young man too much inclined to the didactic for look you i said and she did look at me from that buried mass of rock has arisen this living house with its histories of ages and generations and 
here i saw a change pass over her face it grew almost pallid but her large blue eyes were still fixed on mine and it seems to me i went on that such a chasm made by the uplifting of a house therefrom is therefore in itself more poetic than if it were even the mouth of an extinct volcano for grand as the motions and deeds of nature are terrible as is the idea of the fiery heart of the earth breaking out in convulsions yet here is something greater for human will human thought human hands in human labor and effort have all been employed to build this house making not only the house beautiful but the place whence it came beautiful too it stands on the edge of what shelley would have called its antenatal tomb now beautiful enough to be its mother filled from generation to generation her face had grown still paler and her lips moved as if she would speak but no sound came from them i had gone on thinking it best to take no notice of her paleness but now i could not help expressing concern i am afraid you feel ill miss oldcastle not at all she answered more quickly than she had yet spoken this place must be damp i said i fear you have taken cold she drew herself up a little haughtily thinking no doubt that after her denial i was improperly pressing the point so i drew back to the subject of our conversation but i can hardly think i said that all this mass of stone would be required to build the house large as it is a house is not solid you know no she answered the original building was more of a castle with walls and battlements i can show you the foundations of them still and the picture too of what the place used to be we are not what we were then many a cottage too has been built out of this old quarry not a stone has been taken from it for the last fifty years though just let me show you one thing mr walton and then i must leave you do not let me detain you for a moment i will go at once i said though if you will allow me i should be more at ease if i might see you safe to the top of the stair first she smiled indeed i am not ill she answered but i have duties to attend to let me show you this and then you shall go with me back to mamma she led the way to the edge of the pond and looked into it i followed and gazed down into its depths till my sight was lost in them i could see no bottom of the rocky shaft there is a strong spring down there she said is it not a dreadful place such a depth yes i answered but it has not the horror of dirty water it is as clear as crystal how does the surplus escape on the opposite side of the hill you came up there is a well with a strong stream from it into the river i almost wonder at your choosing such a place to read in i should hardly like to be so near this pond i said laughing judy has taken all that away nothing in nature and everything out of it is strange to judy poor child but just look down a little way into the water on this side do you see anything nothing i answered look again against the wall of the pond she said i see a kind of arch or opening in the side i answered that is what i wanted you to see now do you see a little barred window there in the face of the rock through the trees i cannot say i do i replied no except you know where it is and even then it is not so easy to find it i find it by certain trees what is it it is the window of a little room in the rock 
from which a stair leads down through the rock to a sloping passage that is the end of it you see under the water provided no doubt i said in case of siege to procure water most likely but not therefore confined to that purpose there are more dreadful stories than i can bear to think of here she paused abruptly and began anew as if that house had brought death and doom out of the earth with it there was an old burial ground here before the hall was built have you ever been down the stair you speak of i asked only part of the way she answered but judy knows every step of it if it were not that the door at the top is locked she would have dived through that archway now and been in her own room in half the time the child does not know what fear means we now moved away from the pond towards the side of the quarry and the open-air staircase which i thought must be considerably more pleasant than the other i confess i longed to see the gleam of that water at the bottom of the dark sloping passage though miss oldcastle accompanied me to the room where i had left her mother and took her leave with merely a bow of farewell i saw the old lady glance sharply from her to me as if she were jealous of what we might have been talking about granny are you afraid that mr wharton has been saying pretty things to aunt winnie i assure you he is not of that sort he doesn't understand that kind of thing but he would have jumped into the pond after me and got his death of cold if auntie would have let him it was cold i think i see you dripping now mr walton and here she was in her dark corner coiled up on a couch and laughing heartily but all as if she had done nothing extraordinary and indeed estimated either by her own notions or practices what she had done was not in the least extraordinary disinclined to stay longer i shook hands with the grandmother with a certain invincible sense of slime and with the grandchild with a feeling of mischievous health as if the girl might soon corrupt the clergyman into a partnership in pranks as well as in friendship she followed me out of the room and danced before me down the oak staircase clearing the portion from the first landing at a bound then she turned and waited for me who came very deliberately feeling the unsure contact of soul and wax as soon as i reached her she said in a half whisper reaching up toward me on tiptoe isn't she a beauty who your grandmamma i returned she gave me a little push her face glowing with fun but i did not expect she would take her revenge as she did yes of course she answered quite gravely isn't she a beauty and then seeing that she had put me hors de combat she burst into loud laughter and opening the hall door before me let me go without another word i went home very quietly and as i said stepping with curious care of which of course i did not think at the time over the yellow and brown leaves that lay in the middle of the road End of chapter 6